This episode of the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast is brought to you by the Fun Astrology 101 course. If you'd like to learn the language of astrology in a fun and easy way, go to funastrology.com and check out the 101 course. It's right there on the homepage. Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock. We're going to talk about something fun today. Robert, I would like to know how Saturn became the ancient ruler of Aquarius. And in this context, that we have several dual signs, Scorpio, Aquarius, Pisces, but Saturn is the only one in the bunch that moves from its own sign, Capricorn, into its old, old sign, old sign, no, new sign, right? podcast. <laughs> it's new sign, old sign of Aquarius. So how did it get to be the ruler of yet the subsequent sign? Well, back in the day before telescopes, uh, we could only see with the naked eye out to Saturn. Now, as it turns out, you can sometimes see Uranus with the naked eye, but you have to be really, really, really observant to do that. And they only learned to do that after it was discovered by telescope. So in the ancient days, they, uh, they only had the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So seven bodies to study and to assign to the 12 signs of the zodiac. So of necessity, they began to associate um, this is called the old Chaldean rulerships, the Chaldean planets, so that they associated Saturn with both Capricorn, but also with Aquarius. And they associated uh, Scorpio with Mars, as well as Aries. And they associated Pisces with Jupiter, as well as Jupiter's association with Sag. So those those three signs, Pisces and Aquarius and Scorpio, have this dual rulership. When they began to discover the what we call contemporary or collective planets, these greater archetypes that lie beyond the orbit of, of Saturn, then they began to assign their observations of happenings and synchronicities with those planets. Pluto became assigned to Scorpio, finally. And Neptune became associated with Pisces. And Saturn and Aquarius, of course, became associated with Uranus. So it was not until those were discovered, but each one of those are collective planets. And what's interesting to me in astrology, the personal planets, so-called, are considered to be from the sun and moon through Saturn. Those are personal planets. The outer planets in a horoscope, a natal horoscope, will tend to act pretty collectively and fatalistically unless you have a personal planet archetype aspecting one of those three outer planets. So, for example, I have my sun conjunct Neptune within four degrees. So I have a very personal experience of the Neptune archetype, everything that it means. My son is also closely trying to Uranus. So I have a very personal connection with the Uranus archetype. And it's true. I think very collectively in a kind of bigger picture, having to do with Neptunian things. I went to Los Angeles initially to be an actor. There's nothing more classic cookbook astrology than that. 
Sun conjunct Neptune in Libra of the arts and acting and so on. But acting is the media. It's film. It's stage. It's you know performing for audiences and so on. So I have a very and ultimately, of course, I, I became an astrologer and metaphysician, which is my trying to Uranus in my six hours of work. So if you have a personal planet connected with these outer archetypes, then you have a chance in this lifetime to personally embody what that archetype represents. And as a rule, it's, it's easier to do that after about 30. Before then, the outer planets can indicate some problems because they are collective planets. They involve far more than just you personally. And when you express them unconsciously, they can come out wrong, so to speak, or they can come out immaturely. But if you have a personal aspect between one of the personal planets and one of the outer planets, then you now have a a way to tap into the collective very deliberately and consciously in your own chart and to relate to the collective in a productive way or constructive way. If you have a hard aspect to one of the outer planets, then you have a conflict with the collective, a personal conflict with the collective that you can creatively resolve. Let me ask you this. Typically, do you find that when a planet moves from its ruling sign, so let's take Mars in Aries, for example, and it moves to the next sign, Taurus, that the characteristics of the next sign after the sign that it rules are often radically different from where it just came from? Well, I'll tell you my thumbnail for this is that I think of the planets as energies of various types. Uh, So Mars, for example, is uh, assertiveness and initiative and ambition and persistence and drive and action and very often physicality. If it's in a fire air sign, it might be more intellectually active, but nonetheless, it's, it's, those are all Mars archetypes. So that's a type of energy. Uh, it can also represent anger. It can represent violence. It can represent harm and accidents and so on. That's maybe the negative side of the Mars energy, but it still is a Mars energy, no matter what sign it's in. The signs I think of as script. It's almost exactly as if the planets were the players and the signs were the story that they were playing out in the arena of the house that they are in, the stage. So that's a thumbnail way to look. So if you have Mars in Aries, let's, you know, I don't know, Mars in Aries in the third house, let's say. And then as it moves into Taurus, it's still carrying its assertiveness and initiative and drive. But it's now the script is a much more steady and stable kind of script than it had in Aries. It's also a more earthy kind of script so that action is meant to be translated into physical reality. So you have to work hard. Mars and Taurus can be a great sign for a boxer, for example, that kind of physical force. It can also be a great sign for a builder or an architect. Or for a painter, you get into the artistic side of Taurus. So it's like a different story is told by the script. And then the house where that sign and that transfer or position at birth is happening will tell you the arena where that's likely to play out. So you have Mars maybe going into Taurus or in Taurus in your fourth house. One of the classic signs of working from home or working in real estate or the construction business or in architecture and so on. 
So you, you're combining those three things, the energy of the planet itself, the sign, which is the script for how that energy is to behave in the part of life shown by the house where that's in. Great answer to that. Thank you. I love the opportunistic sign because the side of that, because to me, moving from fiery Aries into earthy Taurus is kind of a shock, you know, a system shock. It's like, whoa, okay, I have to get used to this. <laughs> and as you say, it's well, a different the, energy. The big difference with Mars and Aries and Mars and Taurus, for example, is where uh, the men are separated from the boys and the women from the girls. Mars and Aries is great at coming up with brilliant ideas and concepts and ambitions and goals and directions it very often doesn't finish anything. Mars and Taurus is all about taking day by day, one step after another, to physicalize those great ideas, putting them down on paper, organizing them, refining them, making the necessary contacts with the middlemen to produce it, and on and on, all of that, That's, which is why Mars and Taurus can be a great entrepreneur. And it has a much better chance of actually finishing what it starts than Mars and Aries does. Mars and Aries can be a great leader and a great motivator and a source of great inspiration. But it's generally very eager now to move on to the next new great inspiration and next new idea. So that somebody has to come along behind that Mars and Aries to, to make it happen. That's kind of the difference between that Mars position, for instance. Let's do a couple more. This is kind of fun. So the moon leaving cancer entering leo does it get burned up i mean it's like you can see the moon with ashes on it you know it's like wow that's hot all of a sudden well it's a completely different energy the moon in cancer is all about self-protection and self-nurturing or nurturing of the home and the family it's about the essentials food and shelter and comfort and a job and steady income and security all of that the rootedness and so on it's a very clannish position for let's say the moon in in cancer so it tends to uh, look at new people as potential threats because cancer is like the crab it it puts walls up around itself, and they're just self-protective walls so that it, it, it's very tuned to outside threats. People come along and rock the boat. So, well, the moon in Leo is totally the opposite. It's about performing and performative. So it is absolutely in need of public attention. Cancer itself alone doesn't necessarily need that. In fact, it often is shy in a way and, and kind of res resists public attention and expo but moon and leo seeks it it likes to be the star of any environment it's in and if it's not getting enough attention it will unconsciously create situations that does get it attention hopefully in creative and positive ways but one is very expressive and more extroverted while the other one is more impressive and introverted let's take another one real quick this is great jupiter leaving party happy traveling around the world sagittarius into capricorn jupiter and sagittarius is very much at home there and it's all about learning 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 and it's got this insatiable desire to go and expose itself to new environments and new people and new situations so that, yes travel is often a big part of that but so is travel in the mind and in the brain and then when it goes into capricorn 
Now, see, the, Jupiter and Sag can be a perpetual student. Or it may even, it's an excellent teacher. It may spend its entire life in academia teaching and studying and, and passing on all of its knowledge and so on to the upcoming generations. Whereas Jupiter and Capricorn suddenly is all about achieving in the outer world, achieving status in the outer world, much more so than Jupiter and Sag. Sag. Jupiter and Sag loves the trappings of success. And so sometimes it will dress or drive in a way that it really can't afford just to kind of look great. But Jupiter and Capricorn is very much a realist and it wants to achieve on a tangible level. What it really wants in Capricorn is respect. And that's what it usually earns. But it takes time. So the Capricorn slows down the very energies of Sagittarius and begs you to organize these things, manage these things, be an executive for yourself in these things, be your own boss in these things, or find a boss that is conducive to your being your own best self, if you, even if you're playing the role behind the scenes. So Jupiter and Capricorns much more about the actual achievement and day-to-day -day organization and managing skills required over time to make anything successful and lasting. Because Jupiter and Sag too, because it is a restless sign and one of the mutual signs, it can, it's very enthusiastic in the beginning and then it starts running into the natural obstacles that come up with, say, starting a business or something and the forms and the requirements and the tax laws and the law, all that stuff. Eh, it loses interest. It moves on to something else. Jupiter and Sag can also, when it's uh, afflicted, let's say, be one of these uh, people who goes from movement to movement and cause to cause. And they're always finding the latest guru or the latest new age thing and they oh they're devoted to it and then what six months later they're off in some other new venture so it's the difference between that sort of restless insatiable curiosity and the yearning for ever broader horizons versus the need to accomplish something professionally tangibly in the present with all the hard work the capricornian work and organization structure that that requires isn't it wonderful the symbolism that's represented here. It's just incredible. It is to me. It's after all these years, still is. Still, still is just wonderful how this was created and, I don't know, given to us or however it came about. Robert, thank you. That was really interesting. Appreciate that. If you would like to check in with Robert for a reading, you can find the information to that, including a direct link in our show notes. Also in there is a link to our Discord channel. If you'd like to continue the conversation, there's a whole group over there that picks up on this and many other astrological conversations. And that Discord link is also in the show notes. And we'll be back with our next episode of Old Soul, New Soul Astrology with Robert Glasscock. We'll look forward to seeing you back. <music>